0: Welcome to the next podcast of Millinery Info. I'm your host, Lauren Ritchie. Thank you for joining me for this episode today with Belinda Osborne, the designer and milliner behind the label Peacock Millinery. Belinda is an award-winning milliner having just won the Maya VRC Flemington Fashions on Your Front Lawn Award this year. Thank you to our wonderful podcast sponsors for making this episode possible. Be Unique Millinery, House of Adorn, The Essential Hat, Bat Millinery, Hattest Millinery Supplies, Lifted Millinery, Hat Academy, Hats by Leco, Hat Mags, Marie D'Antony Millinery, Louise MacDonald Milliner, Millinery Australia, and Judith M. Millinery Supply House. You can find a link to each of these businesses in our show notes, either through your podcast app or our website. If you've been enjoying listening to this podcast series, I'd like to invite you to show your support through becoming a Patreon. There are two tiers available, a podcast sponsor where we can support and promote your business to our audience or a supporter level for those who would like to show their support so we can keep producing the content you hear and see on Millinery Info. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Belinda. I apologize for any technical glitches you may hear in the audio. When I was recording this with Belinda, she's located in the far north of Australia up in Darwin so the internet is not quite as um, strong as it is in all locations but I hope that you get the essence of our chat and it doesn't interrupt your experience too much thank you so much and I hope you enjoy hearing Belinda speak Thank you so much today for joining me today, Belinda, to talk hats and your award-winning piece. Congratulations on winning the Maya Fashions on the Field Millinery Award this year. Your piece was absolutely stunning. Could you start by telling us a little bit about it?
1: Oh, thanks, Lauren. Um, Yeah, it's a a piece that I sort of have had in my mind for uh, probably about um, close to four months prior to the the award. Um, And um, I was just – it just came from a little sample piece. So I knew I wanted to make something um, that involved this feather lattice and as the competition got closer and was announced, um, I started thinking about in what context did I want to use the, the Feather Lattice? And I started reflecting on um, all the feelings of um, you know, confinement and restrictions from the COVID lockdowns and the border closures and the lockouts and lock-ins and all of that (laughs) that we've all experienced over the past 18 months and I really wanted my piece to make a statement about that feeling that we've been paged in per se so that was what I wanted to sort of um my my design vision was for it to be
0: and there's so much intricate detail in it I mean you mentioned the lattice but it's Oh, I've watched the video if anyone's interested in going to see your making video it was such a process could you tell us a little bit about what went into the making of it
1: yeah yeah the, the making of it was actually really quite relaxing um, normally <laughs> normally it can be as as you know as a as a um, an entrant yourself, you, you, normally it can be really stressful trying to work through uh, new techniques and um, expanding your design, um, you know, prowess for the competition. And I just sort of thought that I was, in the beginning, I was thinking, "Oh, this is gonna, this is gonna be a nightmare." Um, but it actually um, was just so repetitive that it was. All, just really relaxing. It was almost like a de-stressor. So it was just you know, measure, cut, measure, cut, measure, cut. And um, then once I had uh, cut out all the feathers, it was just the process of once I knew exactly what pattern to lay the feathers in so that I got the particular design of the colours, then it was just a matter of just off you go and just you know, repeat, action, repeat, action yeah
0: and how many feathers did you cut for that process
1: um so in in all I calculated so it wasn't so much I didn't calculate actually how many feathers I used this time um normally I do but what I did calculate was I calculated uh how many little bits I needed to cut and that was about 456 pieces by my calculation. So I, um, yeah, so when I make, I'm quite sort of, I work inside my mind a lot when I'm doing other millinery jobs and it gets to the sort of you know, the hand stitching stage where you aren't thinking so much. You're just sort of on that autopilot. Um, I My mind goes off into design mode for other hats and, and I start thinking about, um how is the construction going to be for that what are the bones of it going to be um you know what sort of measurements how many am I going to need and that's what I was doing with this piece whilst I was trying to finish my custom orders for spring um I needed to get those done before I started my competition piece. because obviously being a chumel and my clients are key and um So I had about three days left um, before the deadline and i had already figured most of it in my head. I was like, right, Uh, because, you know, I'm I'm not near any supply shops at all whatsoever, so I needed to figure out if I had the stock, um, how many feathers would I need and roughly that would be good. So I, I did all of that. I was like, oh, my gosh. Thank goodness I didn't need any stocks, so. <laughs> and thank goodness it was in the in the colours that I wanted it to be in that I had in stock as well. So um, it just worked out out perfectly.
0: Yeah. It was such a beautiful colour way which you used. Was that um, influenced by the stock you already had or other elements?
1: Um, Well, my – I have – obviously, I do a lot of work with feathers, so I've got hundreds of different types of feathers on hand at any one time, Um, but the particular colour palette that I chose for my design was – um, reflective of two aspects in one it was what I was seeing as I was driving in and out of my property every day and um, you know the white maria flowers and the lilac flowers from my, my pride of India tree that's flowering at the moment it looks sensational um, and then it's when you go up close to it there's new growth that's really crisp and limey almost and then it's also covered in green ants which are these intrudescent orangey and, you know, bright, bright little green bums. And so those are the colours that I, I really sort of adored. Um, and, and also twofold is that sort, they are what I forecasted the colours of spring to be. So, so being in Darwin, I have two springs, I like to say. We have our dry season. <laughs> Which we have the dry season and the wet season, only two seasons here. So, whereas in the southern states, you have the four seasons. But our carnival runs in the dry season, which is July. And so, that's the opposite to to you guys. So, I like to say I'm a lucky milliner that has two spring seasons. I had a lot of clients um, who were coming in with, you know, mandarins, tangerine, oranges. Um, beautiful, fresh greens and chartreuse greens and things like that. And I was like, I really need to use those two colors in my whatever I make for my spring. I need, I need those in my colors. And then, um, as the down car- carnival finished and I started going into um southern spring, um, I you know I started seeing the fashion designers, you know, like the By Johnnies and um a lot of the designers down south actually bringing out oranges and greens and you know and I was like oh yes this is exactly where we're heading um and it's just so fresh um I think and it's just you know to, to be um spring it's spring basically so that's
0: what we do. And you have such a vibrant palette that you you work within and it really it really came through in that piece. The technique that you used, had you explored that much before or this was kind of the first foray into that
1: no no see I'm, I'm a creature of mini explores I suppose is what you could say <laughs> So I have a, I have a shelf um, or a couple of shelves in my um, studio they're my, my secret shelves <laughs> um, and um, they they hold all of the mini explorations I suppose you could you could call it so on this shelf is just little... Bits of an idea, and that's where um, the feather ladder sat for about four months um, prior. So just before Carnival, um, before Darwin Cup Carnival, I had made it from some remnants that I had been making from another lady's hats, and um, they sort of just fell on the table, and I sort of was like, "Oh, that looks cool," and um, I worked and played with it a bit, and. Get out how to actually do it and um, and get them to sort of like really stick together and, and become actually quite strong so um, yeah so I did a, about you know probably a section that's would have been about 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters about uh, three by three rows and I just sat on this my little shelf of goodies and it just kept whooing at me I suppose is what you could day it just um every time I looked at it I was like here I am so I just knew I really had to I had to make something amazing from it because I just couldn't walk past that shelf and not see it amongst all yeah. the other things yeah
0: I think and the shape that you formed was uh such an interesting shape had you um, made one that had done that before, or that just naturally seemed like the answer to what you were looking for. No, so
1: so in the beginning, I um I I really like pieces that um embodied dimensional art and dimensional perspective. So, um you know, giving a whole three hundred and sixty degree experience to the wearer and the onlooker. Um so. I knew I needed to take this little sample which was like sitting in the two-dimensional space at that point moment in time. It was just this flat little thing and I I, saw, I was like, oh, I really need, it, need to wrap it around, you know, that's that's where I wanted to head. So in the beginning when I started making it, I was like, yeah, this could be really cool to, to do some sort of, you know, either halo or, Or like wrap around spiral or something like that, and then as the competition got closer, I started thinking about the silhouette of the of the shape um, that I wanted to um, to do for the competition, and I started thinking along the lines of um, of that being confined, and um, but what what is a beautiful way of confining, um, and what what is, um, I suppose, you know, in the sense of millinery, bows? Bows are quite seen as beauty, beautiful, pretty, you know, that's feminine. So uh, that was really where I headed with that. It was like, okay, what I need to do is I need to make an amazing big ribbon um, and make this feather lattice into an actual bow. So step one, make a giant ribbon. And make it look like it's this amazing bow that's confined, you know, the the, the model. Yeah,
0: amazing. But no, I, had, I
1: had, hadn't actually made it. I had made any um <laughs> any shape of that uh before.
0: No, and I think what was interesting because um. My piece, we, we don't know it. Well, we, of course, we know each other, but we don't compare work. We um, work in a similar <laughs> space. But um, when you looked at the two out, and yours and my piece next together, it was interesting to see the similarities that occurred, but by no means were we comparing notes or oh, looking look, to Lauren. each other's work. It was so interesting. <laughs> I,
1: I, listen, when I saw your piece, because... When I first started thinking about what I wanted the design to be, um, <laughs> I my concept was pretty much what yours had been, and um, I said to my son, who came into the studio, and I said to him, "Oh, do you?" Um, I drew up the thing. I'm like, "Oh, do you like this?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah, I like that." What have you? And then when I made it, um, I you know, and I put the actual big bow part on. Um, I was like, oh, uh, yeah, that looks good, And He's like, oh, I think I like the other way. And I was like, no, no, don't say
0: that. <laughs> You're supposed to say, yes, mum, that looks awesome. <laughs> what a good support. Yeah, I think it was yeah. a very interesting reflection of, like, the zeitgeist and the themes that came through throughout all of the um, other entries as well had similar tones to it. Um, yeah, but it was just fascinating to see we worked completely independently Um and then, to see what resulted in similar, not the same, but similar aesthetics was amazing
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah I think I think people um, often I often find that that happens a lot um, in certain spaces is that with what's going on in the world when so many people are experiencing um, a particular Uh, emotion or experience or goings-on political you know anything um we can all have very similar feelings and we all take that on board to especially if you're a creative if you're a maker if you're you're producing things you're going to put that into what you produce so it's quite it's quite interesting um, that you say that because I see it so often and a lot of the time, I'll I'll be either halfway making through something, and then someone will put a picture up, and I'll be, like, oh no, they <laughs> oh, <damn. laughs> put a picture up of something that I was practically just making. Um, you know, so it's like, here we go, change it again. So it's, you know, you've got to beat, beat the people to it when it comes to getting into trends
0: or or. Pretend. Thing sometimes, <laughs> yeah. And you, when you're, because you get two springs, um, do you design a particular collection, or how do you work in your workspace? Is it a constant flow of of different pieces? What's your? Yeah,
1: no, it's um. I I love when people say to me, "Oh, what's your what's your design style?" and and I say eclectic. <laughs> it's like it's just it's I make what I want um, pretty much so. Although a lot of people say, oh yeah, no, I can definitely tell a peacock millinery piece walking out on the track. And I'm like, oh, can you? That's lovely. But, you know, I sort of, yeah, I'm like, that's great. But, you know, it's interesting. I see so much difference in all my pieces. They like they diff- I suppose it would be very similar if we were a parent of twins. You're, you're going to see those differences more than other people see the differences. To other people, they just look like the same, But to you, they're like, no, they're completely different. Um, so I think that's probably a really good analogy for how I work is that I feel each one of them is so different. And because I've predominantly been a couture milliner and working with clients, you're you're dealing with their needs, um, you know. So being the designer is the number one thing that you want to do, and of course, always come in with your brand and, and your your style and your design. But when you're couturing, you've got to you've got to take in um, account of what a client has and um, you know what what their needs are, what their likes are. They they need to feel comfortable in it. Um, but uh, as far as uh, what else, I produce is that yes, I do produce a very small, ready to wear collection, and um, but now, uh, now that I've uh, I've actually gone some time into millinery, I'm, I'm looking to expand and um, hopefully, hopefully, <laughs> I have more time to spend on actually making millinery now, <laughs> um, and then I'll be able to.
0: So, your clients at the moment are they coming, will they have a completely custom made piece, or do they? Are they picking a design and then saying, "Oh, but my dress is these colorways. Can we do it in these tones? How does it work with them?"
1: Yeah, so I have I have two two sets of customers, um, and uh, well I have, a, have the three. But one will buy the ready to wear, and then so I have the made to order customer, which they see something that somebody else has has had made for them. They um, see one of the other designs that I've made, and they say, "I'll have that." And then we change the color, or we we modify it ever so slightly. Um, Or and then I have my custom clients. So these are clients that want something that you know they've got a dress, and um, it's got a specific print or a pattern, um, and they maybe want to take that up into the hat to to create a a completely cohesive look um, look for it. So it's um, it's it's interesting because. When it comes to custom orders, the one of my clients um, in Darwin, she's been a client for many years now, and um, she was actually our NT representative. And uh, I don't know what it is about her hats, but every year I get numerous requests to remake her her hat. So I make yeah. I custom design the hat for um, my client um, yes. Johanna, and Hannah, uh, and she she you know uh, she then gets all these phone calls from the cuz obviously we're be, we're before the spring so then she gets all the phone calls from the spring people uh, or the messages these days um they ask her, do you want to sell do you want to sell you know and then they message me like oh we want to buy <laughs> so it's that's so interesting she seems to be um like a quite amused for the made to water pieces yeah yeah
0: Amazing, and it's it sounds like such an amazing partnership between the two of you that you produce an aesthetic that is so um, on trend and ahead of the trend. In fact, that people are looking to then follow. Yeah, it.
1: she's really, um, she's probably the best. Well, I've got I've got a lot of amazing, awesome clients, and yeah. I couldn't ask for anything better because when it comes to, as you know, being a designer, free reign is just where it's at. You know, if they just come in and, and they say, you know, most of the time I just get a dress dropped off and, and they're like, oh, yeah, this is the dress. Thanks. These are the shoes. This is the bag, you know, or what have you. And I'm like, yep, beauty, I'll see you in six weeks. <laughs> it's like, you know. So um, that's basically that's it. And, and they trust me to the T and they have done for years. Um, it's obviously – when I take on a new client, they haven't built up that trust, so it's 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 more, um, you know, uh, reassuring them that yes,
0: it's going to be okay. <laughs>
1: You're definitely going to get a hat
0: to wear. <laughs> going to look. All you, you can trust me with full <laughs> full reign of your out your, your headpiece.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. So it's 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 uh it's uh it's i love it it's
0: amazing and you're based up in darwin which is in for those not in australia the northern territory of um australia it's a very unique climate as well but also very um I think isolated you could describe it from the main cvd cities that people might be familiar with like sydney and melbourne how did you come to be a milliner <laughs> yeah so um
1: i i'm a rare breed i'm a darwin born and bred person so for my age that's <laughs> everyone goes oh really <laughs> so you know it's um it's a it's a little small town sort of um in the top of it's a capital of the outback or alice springs they say is but you know up the top end of australia is uh, where the crocodiles and the kangaroos and all that sort of stuff are um but yeah we we've had the darwin cup here for oh, six, eight years, nine years now. So, I mean, we've had horse racing here for forever, it feels like, and um, I went to my first races in 1999 and I ended up making my own hat and um, from there sort of stemmed off this um, bit of a love for it, I suppose. So, around mid 2000. I started um selling a few to friends and family and things like that and um it sort of just grew from there pretty much and um then I found out that my mum so my my mum lived in Darwin as well um so uh which was great because I actually found out that she was a milliner Mm. what Maya and Miller Andersons in South Australia, which is, um, if you're not aware of those uh, big department stores, and it was back in the 50s and the 60s when they, all the milliners would um, work out the back in, on these giant long tables and they would sit around the tables and they would make the hat and then they would, once it was finished, they would take it out onto the floor and then, then the, um, the people, the shop people would sell the hat off the floor. And um, I was like, How? you know, how did I not know this? Because she basically just said, oh, are you making cats? And uh, I said, yeah, you know, and it was a whole part of my mum's life I felt like I didn't even know about. And I was like, yeah, she said, oh, gosh, i was a milliner. I was like, you're kidding. Like, just, how... just passed over that, didn't, didn't even register. <laughs> well, yeah, it was literally like I didn't know her life you know, much of her life prior to her moving to to Darwin in the in the early 70s, um, you know, so that's, that's quite interesting. And then, of course, um, they went through the cyclone, big, huge cyclone, Tracy, up here in 79, so they didn't really have many possessions left, so there wasn't any hat um, paraphernalia around the house for me to go, oh, what's that, you know, type of thing. So it literally just came out of the blue and I was like, so shocked! I thought this is just so bizarre that what what such a niche little industry I've gotten into. My mum was in. Like, that's just crazy. So um, around two thousand and six, she started teaching uh, you know, me like fundamentals, pattern making, uh, things like that, and um, passed away in two thousand and nine. Um, and I still thought. Oh, I need to. I need to
0: learn more. So,
1: in two thousand and ten, I went to my first ever um, convention. So, at um, RMIT Melbourne. So, it was an eye-opening experience. Um, absolutely amazing. I'd come from Darwin, where there's nothing, <laughs> and there was just people learning hats everywhere um and it was just amazing it was such an experience i bought my first set of hat blocks there um a set of four button blocks and a dome um prior to that the four years that i had been actually like, making hats i had not used a um a block at all it was all wire buckram you know, or whatever and fabric covers so the whole new world opened up to me and I was just like oh this, this is sensational so so yeah I think she'd be really really proud uh, of how I've gone over the years and um, incredibly that I'm proud. actually yeah and doing it full-time now I think she should just be like, like beaming
0: mm, that's amazing and when did you take the plunge to full-time millinery so last
1: year i decided to um make peacock millinery into a company and actually take um it to the next level um to expand the business and um you know and hopefully hopefully things like great great job belinda doing that good timing (laughs) (laughs) it was like right (laughs) <laughs> is something telling me something? So I was like, no, no, no. This is it. This is what. This is what you want to do. So just keep moving forward. And I was actually really shocked. Um, I at one stage there I felt, uh, I I, I felt really guilty. This is probably going to sound really strange and really weird because um, when when COVID hit, um, and um, a lot of the southern states went into lockdown. Darwin did not go into lockdown, so we were locked out of everybody everywhere, um, mm-hmm. and we locked other people out. So we were we were trapped in the NT per se, um, <laughs> but we weren't locked in our homes like like other people were. And um, what ended up happening was I actually had a really good year, um, and you know we had the we had a small Darwin Cup carnival, but I was still super. Um, and I still had inter- interstate orders coming in from uh, WA and Queensland and New South Wales and I just couldn't thank them uh, enough really um, because I just sort of felt like, oh, I felt felt so, um, it was, it was a really strange odd feeling that I was feeling a bit guilty that I was working and others were, you know, not. um, And it was just really, I suppose it was a really interesting feeling um, on me. I'd never sort of felt that before and um, and then – When we, when it continued to go on, and and everybody started pivoting, I was like, "Oh yeah, I want to pivot too." You know, I want to do other things too, and I literally couldn't. I was so busy with race hats, and everybody was making these, like, getting inspiration to make summer things, and you know, beautiful bucket hats and masks and. And I, no one wanted face masks in darwin like it was so, you know it was so crazy
0: and such a strange time but to be able to still have darwin cup in the way that you did is incredible
1: yeah yeah to have basically the whole nation watching <laughs> watching the, the
0: darwin Cup was like yeah, well, you were the on only the race <laughs> happening basically for two years nearly
1: it, it pretty much felt like that it felt like um couldn't go to the races in, like Ascot had been cancelled over in the UK, um, you know, couldn't go, on, couldn't go on track there, you couldn't go on track down south, you couldn't go on track anywhere and here we were in little old Darwin town um, with our, I think it was 5,000 limit capacity that could attend the Darwin Cup. We, we felt very, very, very lucky to um, be
0: able to go to that, yeah. And your pieces have just been popping up everywhere, including the campaigns for the the Darwin Cup carnival, which is amazing. How do you decide what do you make specifically for that or are they picking from pieces you've already got? How does that work?
1: I've been involved with the Darwin Cup Carnival campaign for many years now. I love to support my local track. Um, I'm a big, big supporter of of um, Darwin Turf Club. So they have uh, the Darwin Cup Carnival Ambassador program up here, where they pick um, they, they they pick somebody from a local, um, and they basically get that person to support um, local business and local industry, so local designers, dress designers, uh, local boutiques, local milliners and things like that. So, so yeah, so in the past um, uh, it's just been um, made to water, like couture, basically custom pieces because um, they really sort of want to promote that aspect of it, um, but it is quite it is quite difficult because it's a very, very busy Time of the year for myself. So um, last year and the year before, it was a mixture of um, ready-to-wear and um, custom pieces. So there's a couple of days up here that are, are a must-do. If you're going to do the carnival, it's the Ladies' Day and the Darwin Cup Day. They are two weeks apart, unfortunately, <laughs> um, but um, they they are just the best days um they are sensational the fashion up here is next level i don't know what it is about the darwin fashion i think it's we always say it's because we just don't have as many events down south or what have you but it's uh it's it's just sensational time and to support that and to support the that that side industry of racing which is fashion and um tourism and and everything that goes along with it as well um and have the club support that is it's just fantastic yeah
0: you make in a studio space how do you have that set up what does your space look like
1: yeah so my my space is uh it's a beautiful little um, studio bungalow type of thing I suppose is what you could call it and it's about uh, three meters wide by approximately six meters long and that's my space that's my workspace I have two main working stations so I have a sit-down working stage station uh, which is a nice big wide desk and then I have a stand-up uh workstation as well so that I can do uh, a lot of blocking and um, I do like to sew at the stand-up station as well um, and and that but yeah so it's a it's a beautiful space um, I'm actually currently packing it up <laughs> because we've decided to to sell our property we've been we've lived in the rural area for a long time so we've had a very very large property and just decided that we would like to Downsize um, and and
0: move into
1: a little bit closer to town. Um, so I'll be looking for looking for a new um, house
0: with a new studio soon. Hmm. That's so exciting! And you it is. working <laughs> working in your business full time. Do you have a structure for how you have your week, or it's quite dependent on what what's coming up?
1: It is quite dependent on what's coming up um, in when I so I have in season and out season, and then I have usually um, when it comes to Darwin Cup Carnival, I have um, a two-week period, which is the um, just the red zone for uh, which is the two weeks prior to Ladies Day. So my biggest day of the year is. Darwin Cup Carnival Ladies Day, and that's where majority of my orders. I'll do sixty orders for that day. It's um, it's a it's a massive, massive day. Um, so basically, I have outer season where I'm just working on um ready to wear and um pieces to set up for made to order, so that you can get a bit of a head start when when times start to get a little bit. Um, pressed and then in season um, is usually because people don't know what they want um, especially when it comes to custom orders they won't know what they want until they get an outfit and so forth so I have um, uh, people that uh, book and pay for their spot um, months in advance and so most of the time I'm six months in advance booked out and um, so they'll book their spot and then they'll go and they'll get their outfit knowing that their spot is secured and then I can uh, contact them sort of six weeks out from you know, their booking space and go, righto, need your outfit um, so that we can get things happening. And um, then there's the red zone, as I, as I call it, which is two weeks before Ladies' Day, and that that is basically – hour days, uh, a two-week period. It's it's a it's a massive, massive, massive time of just um, trying to get everything um, done as much as you possibly can. Because I find it hard to say no to people. <laughs> I just keep <laughs> squeezing people in until I can't do it anymore.
0: <laughs> but it sounds like you have a good structure. You, I um, have an idea of how many people you can. Um, service for lack of a better word and um you know be able to fit into your into your schedule yeah yeah amazing and what's um an upcoming project you're looking forward to working on um
1: my next upcoming project is working on my um 2022 ready to wear collection so that'll be released uh possibly around May um so I'll be I'll be looking at that um I don't do too much with winter wear of course <laughs> um we being the no fact <laughs> that we have no winter um but I do get requests from clients who want custom winter pieces um but I I'm I'm sort of a creature of, of habit and I like to say do what you do like well you know, so I'm not a leather milliner. I'm not really a suede or a, it's not, it's not what I do. And you just got to know who you are, know your brand, and then and know who your client is, your audience. So you're going to then be able to really work better as opposed to just spreading yourself too thin. Because uh, at the moment, I've got so much spring throughout the whole year. It's literally spring, summer for me. It's, I don't. I don't feel it necessary to make the items. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those. Things.
0: Also, wouldn't need to wear a felt unless you're coming to visit us, baby dad, in Melbourne. So yeah, we'll see why yeah. there's no felt making?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's it's one of those things. It's like, oh yeah, no, I'd like to get into it and do it more and, and offer it more. But um, you know, I'm I get orders for. I say spring, spring, summer hats from February all the way through to November. So it's a very, it's a, you know, very hard to sort of fit in something when I'm, when I'm, my constant line is pretty much spring racewear. <laughs> and I enjoy it. I don't mind
0: it at all. That's fantastic. And you, um, do you attend the track yourself still having first found this through going to the races? Yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm actually a horse owner. I own a few horses and um, I am involved in the um, Women in Race, Thoroughbred Racing, Darwin NT. And uh, yeah, so I go to the track and have lunch there and watch the races and so forth. Yeah, absolutely. Wear a hat. <laughs> Wear a hat, oh, I'm always, you are your biggest billboard is what um, I definitely say. So whereas years ago I was wearing far more extravagant hats um, only because in Darwin we didn't have the extravagant factor. So I was trying to introduce that and say, yes, look at this, this is what you can wear, you know, so be your own billboard. So now I'm like okay, it might not be a big carnival day, it's a small race day, this is what you can wear to a small race day, but still wear
0: something. (laughs) Absolutely, because if people don't see it, they don't know it's a possibility.
1: That's exactly right.
0: It has been so wonderful to talk hats with you today, Belinda, and to hear about your wonderful award-winning piece. Thank you so much.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Lauren.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Millinery Info with Belinda. I'd like to thank our Patreon podcast sponsors for making this episode possible. Be Unique Millinery, House of Adorn, The Essential Hat, That Millinery, Hatter's Millinery Supplies, Lifted Millinery, Hat Academy, Hats by Lico, Hat Mags, Marie D'Antony Millinery, Louise MacDonald Milliner, Millinery Australia, and Judith M. Millinery Supply House. You can find a link to each of their businesses in our show notes, either through your podcast app or our website. We're very appreciative of our podcast sponsor's support. If you'd like to become a Patreon of millinery.info, there are two tiers available. You could become a podcast sponsor, which means your business or event is mentioned in our podcast site and in the monthly newsletter. This starts from just $15 per month. We also have a supporter tier, which starts from just $5. It's like a little more than shouting us a coffee for month to say thank you for the content that you hear on Millinery Info. If you have any questions about becoming a patron, I'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, head over to www.patreon.com forward slash millineryinfo. I'm your host, Lauren Ritchie. Thank you for joining me for this episode, and I look forward to talking hats with you again soon.